Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One for podcasting. From the Jets Barbecue Studio with amazing slow-smoked wings and world-famous baby back ribs, this is Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Good morning. Welcome in once again. Miller and Condon on the air with you. Minus the Miller for one final day as Ken completes his sojourn out on the West Coast. He'll be back with us tomorrow here from 10 until noon. But that means today, one more special guest host, and he is... John Lamb back for another appearance, back by popular demand. What's happening, Lamb? Hey, special is a stretch. I'm happy to be here, and I'm even more excited and elated about my sports fighter t-shirt I just acquired. It looks pretty good on you. Thank you. Looking sharp over there. You always wanted a t-shirt with my face on it. I know that. I wish it was a little larger, but yeah. I understand the world we live in. Well, got to get like tight, right? You like those schmediums, just like your boy <laughs> TJ up in Ames. He fills it out a lot better than I do. <laughs> well, there's no doubt about that. Well, John Lamb's going to be with us here for the next couple of hours. A lot of basketball talk, as always, with John. But we got other news and notes to get into, including a wild day in the world of Iowa football. Charlie Jones into the transfer portal. You also have a decommitment from a kid that has signed, sealed, and delivered. In fact, was supposed to be arriving at campus here within the next week or two. And that's not going to be happening with Orlando Tucker. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more. David Eichholt from 24-7 Sports, Hawkeye Insider. He's going to join us here at the bottom of the hour on the BMW of Des Moines guest list. In the 11 o'clock hour, we'll talk some NBA with our man Kyle Irving from the Sporting News. We'll get into things. Uh, John and I had an opportunity to talk with him last week. Really enjoy our conversations with Kyle Guy that we uh, just found here this basketball season. He's been really, really good. And if you missed his mock draft last week, thought a really good perspective and a really lo- good look at things uh, as we talked with Kyle. Yeah, dude's a rock star. Um, very informed, does the work, gets into all those small circles, knows the right people. He's uh, definitely one for you guys to follow out there if you're not already. Twitter, um, Instagram, whatever he's doing, I-, I would tap in for sure. So last night, it's another night. It's another blowout in the NBA, ultimately. Well, at least we got a good game for, what, the first 33 minutes or so until yep. late in the third quarter it started to become all Celtics. That's where we start the highlights from last night. Grant and Robert Williams, Tatum and Jalen Brown. Brown drives on Butler, kicks it out, Grant Williams, corner three. It's good. Still plenty of time on the clock. Brown, nice step back, pull-up jump shot. It's good. Lead up to six again for Boston. Robert Williams does it again. Oladipo thought he got fouled. That's his fourth block. Tatum, the spin, and the finish. 
Four on the shot clock. Jalen Brown spins, pull-up jump shot. It's good. Jalen Brown, we have our first double-digit lead of the game. White spins. Jalen Brown, three-pointer, puts it in. Jalen Brown from downtown. It's a 14-point lead. Shooting over. It was a pull-away there. The Celtics go on and cruise to the victory, 93-80. It goes under the total. That was my pick yesterday in the NBA, the winner that I handed out yesterday to the fine listeners out there. But John Lamb, looking at that one last night, it was, again, the defensive intensity out of the Boston Celtics. This team is incredible. They have been the best defensive team in the league going all the way back to January. And in a league that has evolved so much offensively, we don't see teams that do this defensively. Certainly this impactful game after game after game. So I want to nerd out a little bit with you here. You know the game a lot more X's and O's wise than I do just on a surface level. So help us out here. What are the Celtics doing? What makes them such an elite level defense compared to most anybody else? Either a good defensive team, there's no doubt. But the Celtics are doing it just at a completely different level. Yeah, they, they really are. And I, I do believe this is a byproduct of the Brad Stevens era. Um, you know, just that selfless mentality of the basketball they do play, the style they play. Um, you know, they go and get players that a lot of people forget about and maybe overlook, if you will. I love the fact and the intensity that it starts with at top and, and Marcus Smart. He's a defensive player of the year for a reason. He gets over all ball screens. He has no problem taking the hardest assignment. One of the most telling things I saw yesterday was he had four fouls in the third quarter early, mm-hmm. and he's waving the coach off saying, you know, I got it. And he doesn't change the intensity or the sense of urgency that he has to defend the basketball. Really, really love it. And then you talk about the rest of the guys on the floor. Brown, six seven, six eight, very, very adequate defender. Tatum, he might be one of the best players in the NBA. I do think he's a top three, top four player. He's still willing to guard. Al Horford, he's 614 years old. <laughs> he still gets the job done. He's still communicating with his guys. He still has just that intestinal fortitude to do the dirty stuff. And then Robert Williams, he switches on to anything. He, he doesn't need any glory, almost a Ben Wallace type. It could be the hair. I don't know. But they do a fantastic job of working together. And then off the bench, you know, Williams, incredible. White, incredible. Everybody else that came off the bench played no more than two minutes except for Pritchard, who played six. So they have their core. And I think this is a great lesson for everybody out there. The highest level basketball, they're playing seven players. And they're playing at an amazing pace. Really, really defending the basketball. And they're making... The Heat shoot very difficult shots. And I think half of this might be a game plan that the Heat needs to correct if they even have a chance. Um, this is up your alley. I saw this this morning when I was doing workouts. Mm-hmm. Plus 650 for the Heat to come back. Don't see it happening. Don't see it happening, especially with how they're playing the game. They shot their starters, shot two for 22 Jeez. from the perimeter. And, and I don't know how Bam only gets 15 looks when he does probably have a mismatch um, almost every play down the floor. I, I'm really, really, really impressed with Boston and their defense. And, and it starts with Smart and their ability to get over all ball screens, really ice the ones they need to, and then they just contest the heck out of all their perimeter shooters. You know, watching last night, Kyle Lowry might have had one of the worst three-point shots I've ever seen in an NBA game. He was wide open from the right corner or the, the right wing. And he left it like a foot and a half short. Mm. 
this is Kel Lowry just going back a couple of years. I mean, this guy was playing at an MVP-like level. And to see that, is, is that just Boston almost defensively in their heads? How does an NBA player miss a shot that poorly when you're wide open? Well, one of my mentors, he's a GM for an NBA team. He says this all the time. And, you know, the difference between a four-year career and a 14-year career is a confidence thing. You know, and, and with that confidence, to build confidence, you have to be, you know, in the gym working hard. You have to be really, really committed to this grind. You have to be, you know, doing two-a-days, whatever it might be. And when injury kind of hits and mm-hmm. age kind of hits, it's it's extremely difficult to keep pushing forward. And I, that's what I see out of Lowry. I don't think he has a place like he had a place in Toronto. Um, you know, obviously Jim, Jimmy Butler's the alpha dog there. You know, you think about some of these contracts that they've given these players, Duncan Robinson, who, you know, is three for 10 and they run him off doubles, triples, staggers. They were trying to get him going late because they you knew know. that was their only hope late. Yeah. And, and it just doesn't work no. when this is a guard, a guard oriented basketball league. And unfortunately, as much as I like Lowry, as much as he did for our guy, Nick Nurse mm-hmm. up north, um, I, I do think that unless he has a, Gilbert Arenas awakening late in his career, he could be just on the backside. A puffy guy like me that I'd root for, but it's it's just not working right now with Kyle Lowry. And I want to go in a different direction here with you and just so impressed by watching the Celtics team and how they play defense. But watching Yudoka, their new head coach, yeah, who came in right away, and I've talked to Celtic fans, people that watch the game a lot more than I do, and watching the beginning of the regular season, and they're wondering what the hell was going on. Like, this guy's a psycho. He's yelling at people. You can't yell at players in the NBA anymore. Well, now we're learning. Yeah, you can. He you, is intense. You can. And, and half of that is just, let's just congratulate him on his journey. I mean, yes. he used to be a grassroots coach. Mm-hmm. You know, he used he's he's done the dirty stuff. And I'm not saying dirty as illegal. I'm saying he's done the grimy, gritty stuff mm-hmm. that it takes to, to further your career to this level. Sitting in an elementary school gym. Whatever on it a takes. hot Sunday, whatever with no it air takes. conditioning. Yeah, you know, and and it's no water, no not you know, mm-hmm. and it's just it, it just speaks on the culture that's in Boston, and you know, you also have stars there that are extremely humble, hardworking young men. I, I'm 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 so impressed with that coach, and yeah. you can yell, you can coach hard when you have their respect, and I think that that might just be. Uh, um, you know, a negative side of this league that these coaches, they don't have a lot of their players respect. Uh, it was a, it was a running joke last year that the Bucks are the only coach driven team sure. in the NBA. And, and unfortunately that there's some truth to that. I know they listen to the head man. I do, um, but everybody has a role and I don't think, I don't think today's head coach um, does a great enough job of facilitating relationship whether it be outside the arena um, or, or even inside the arena with the extra work that it takes to cultivate that, uh, that friendship, if you will. That's really good stuff. John Lamb joining me here today as we talk with you up until noon. With that, we got a game five coming up tonight. A little bit different. The Mavericks got the, the gentleman's game. They made it a series <laughs> 3-1. It goes back to Golden State and San Francisco tonight. Seven-point favorite is Golden State against the Mavericks here do you give the Mavs much of a chance? Do you, do you think that what Luka did back in Game 4, that translates going back on the road here? And let's be honest, we've seen the Warriors that have come up with some clunkers here. What do you anticipate we're going to see tonight? 
for the sake of the NBA, I hope the Mavs win. Um, I don't think the Mavs have played even close to their best basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to do that, you know, 82-plus games a year. But I would love to see their perimeter shooting get going. It seems like, uh, you know, Spencer's the only one that's getting any buckets. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dorian is not doing a very good job shooting the ball. They're they're blitzing all ball screens. They're doing a great job of getting the ball out of Luca's hands. Um, if the if the Mavs shoot the ball from the perimeter, you know, at even a thirty five to forty two percent clip, I think the Mavs have a very good chance. If not, it's going to be a it's going to be a long night in the Bay. And seven is the number. I'll get some picks for you guys later in the program here today. That's coming up, 8 o'clock tip-off with Dallas and Golden State. Back to the highlights last night, and the NBA stunk once again. Thank goodness for hockey. And I (laughs) didn't think I was going to say that very often. I was riveted last night, though. Late in the third period and into overtime, a fun one. The Blues stave off elimination. As he got the skate on the bouncing puck. Below the goal line is Tarasenko. They work it to Perron. Now Buchnevich from the dunk. Tarasenko says, Kepler, they score! Robert Thomas in the final minute, and he's tied again. They're just ahead of Byron. Tyler Bozak in the skates of Letty. Here's Bozak. Lines and shoots, he scores! Tyler Bozak in overtime has forced game six in the series. 5-4 the final. The Blues get it done. Colorado had a 4-3 lead there late in the third period. The Blues had pulled the goalie, got the extra skater, and got the equalizer before winning it earlier there in overtime. Colorado, who is an absolute behemoth in a night where they get a hat trick out of their star, McKinnon. It ultimately goes St. Louis way. They go back to St. Louis now for Game 6, and suddenly... Yeah, maybe some butts puckering over there in Denver as the Avalanche looking at a 3-2 series lead, but back to St. Louis they go. That has to be a hockey term. <laughs> That's a term for everyone. You'd get ran out of the gym if you said that in basketball, I'm oh, sure. I'm, I'm going to bring it next time I'm in your gym. they going to bring it there. Looking forward to tonight. A couple of games going on. It'll be Game 5, an equalizer with a 2-2 series with the Rangers. They go back to Carolina and Edmonton, a chance to close out in Calgary tonight. 3-1 series lead for the Oilers, 6 o'clock and 8.30 respectively for those two matchups. We finish up our highlight package from last night with a little baseball. And after getting drilled the night before, the White Sox come back with one big hit. Jake locks it up. Into left field, zero down. It's a three-run shot. Tried one too many slow-breaking balls, and that was a little flatter than most of them. Jake Berger, his third home run of the year. He's now driven in 10, and the Sox go from 1 to nothing down to 3 to 1 up. That is one happy guy up from AAA. Jason Benetti on the call along with Steve Stone, NBC Sports Chicago, as a 3 1 victory last night for the White Sox over the Red Sox and pick up a game in the standings as the Twins lose last night, uh, yesterday afternoon, in fact, as they fall in extra innings to the Tigers 4 2. Four and a half the lead. For the Twins in division, but it's too early to be looking at divisions, right? It's May 26th. You keep that hat on, though. That's a good-looking ball cap you got over there, TC. No doubt about it. I'll always be sporting my Twins gear. Doesn't matter how awful they are or if they're in first place. They're always going to be my team. So, a lot going on here, and we mentioned at the top. Coming up, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Hawkeyes with David Eichel from 24-7 Sports. So, I want to get your perspective on this, John, and 
we have Charlie Jones, a young man that was Big Ten returner of the year last year, made some plays, caught 25 balls, wants to probably be a bigger part of the offense in his final go-around here with Iowa. A lot of different ideas of why he enters the transfer portal. A guy that got his extra year of eligibility, mm-hmm. went through spring practice, everything appears to be good. Well, it's the timing, I think, more than anything, that, that people are kind of scratching their heads about. Why is this happening now? Why would you go through this process at this point as a grad transfer after going through spring football? It, it, on the surface, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It is, and I think what a lot of people don't get out there, and, and I fully don't comprehend this either, and I hope uh, we can get some answers to this, it's after May 1st. You know, it's, it's, that's the deadline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it is because he's a grad transfer and hasn't started school or summer session or whatever the case may be that he has a free pass to go to the next school. I don't know. I know, I know uh, we'll get the right answers from our guy coming up. But it's very unique to me that it happened here. But then on the flip side, in a player's eyes, you said it, TC, he did go through spring ball. Mm-hmm. He did probably see the writing on the wall. I, I think he's an unbelievable player. But I also am admiring him in the sense of when he came here, he sat out. You know, he worked his butt off. He stayed humble. He stayed faithful. He stayed bought into the, the Hawkeye way, if you will. I have no, no doubt, no qualms that he, he's going to have the ability to do that again. I just would like a few more answers, as I think all of our listeners would as well. Yeah, it's there's a couple different ways to go. And I, I get labeled a Spencer Peters hater. I don't hate the kid. I just hate him as a quarterback. I don't think he's good enough. You just hate his right arm. Yeah, yeah. He's a great kid. There's no doubt about it. And I, I think people that cover him on the beat, that get to know him and t- continue to talk about what a good person it is, it taints their view. There's no doubt. This is the worst Power 5 quarterback we saw in the country a year ago. Now, look around the country. Watch, watch Illinois. Their quarterback play wasn't as bad as Iowa's. Now, look at teams that were not nearly as good as Iowa and the defense covered up so many holes. And... If you're Charlie Jones, I'm going to come back for this. Mm-hmm. We're going to do the same thing again. We're, we're not going to get better at that spot. We're not going to have a better guy throwing the football. It could be that. Could it be NIL? I, people continue to throw that around. And opportunities that are available at other schools. Now, I don't know what kind of market there is for Charlie Jones, but you know he's a dynamic kick returner. And he's got a little swag to his game, too. Yeah, He's got the headband. He's got the diamond earrings in. He, he's... He's a guy that has a little bit more flavor than your normal Iowa football player. Does that rub Kirk Ferentz the wrong way? Does that rub people inside the locker room the wrong way? I'm not sure, but with that, a little flair, maybe there are opportunities that are out there. So there's a lot of different directions you can go with this. There's a lot of different theories that certainly you can put behind it, but I think those are two that at least on the surface make a whole lot of sense. And then you have the rumors, and the rumors out there, starting with Purdue. Aiden O'Connell, who had an incredible season last year, dominated the Hawkeyes himself in that big performance with his boy David Bell. Well, they were childhood friends. He's the quarterback. All right, got that connection there. Also, Tyrone Tracy, his former teammate here at Iowa, he's already at Purdue. So you connect some dots there. Does that make sense that that is the direction that he's looking to go? And he goes and he's the number three receiver, who, by the way, Purdue also, their top receiver coming back this year is academically ineligible. So there's another opportunity at wide receiver there. All right, I can go and I can be the slot guy at Iowa, and I can catch another 25 balls. Or I can go to Purdue, where they chuck it around a whole lot. I can catch 
55, 60 balls. I can have eight touchdowns. I can still do my return game. And maybe that also puts me in a better opportunity to get a chance at the next level. I think those are all things that you have to look at and factor into when you're trying to figure out exactly why Charlie Jones decided to depart. Makes sense, right? I, I think so. I, I mean, you said that uh, you know about his buddies being up there mm-hmm. last time around. Um, you know, when you think about you know who's the best wide receiver in the NFL, he looks an awful lot like um, like Charlie Jones. Yeah, you think about Welker, you think about Cooper Cup. Yep, you think about the dude up north and uh, uh, with the Vikings, Adam Thielen. I, I just. I think this is more, and I think in this growing age of opportunity and not necessarily seen value, but perceived value, you got to protect yourself. But again, I can't wait till uh, we get some Hawkeye Insider answers because they are by far the best to ask in our state. David Eichel going to be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. I also want to bring up this quote. This is from a transcript uh, earlier this uh, last season from Kirk Ferentz talking about Charlie Jones. We talked about that swagger. Uh, This is what Kirk Ferentz said. And then Charlie, to me, was a real wild card. He almost kind of annoyed me earlier when he got here. And he knows this. Some idiosyncrasies, and I'm sure he feels the same about me. You see him in live action. Once you get to live action, and we don't practice kicking live, we knew pretty quickly last year that, boy, this guy had great judgment fielding balls. He is reckless and just daring on the return part of it. All right, here's another quote. And with Charlie, you live with the roller coaster a little bit because he may, may end up doing some things that it's like, oh, okay, here we go. But it's like a baseball guy or whatever. Sometimes you got to live with some other stuff, too. I think goes to say, Kirk Ferentz and Charlie Jones maybe didn't always see eye to eye. Is that fair, reading between the lines there, that you can maybe put that together and that could be another reason for the departure. That's what it sounds like. And, you know, you got to love the political correctness in which, you know, the Hawkeyes and, and their media department operate in. But it sounds like it's a little bit deeper than we can even imagine. Mm-hmm. Something else happening there. So yeah. we'll get into that more with David Eichel coming up here and, and get his theories about what is happening. Charlie Jones, Big Ten Returner of the Year a season ago. He will depart, and he has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Quick timeout. Before that, though, let's give you a chance to win $1,000. It's a KXNO $1,000 home run. This is what you do. Go to KXNO.com and enter the keyword GRAND. That's GRAND at KXNO.com. It's your chance to win $1,000 in this nationwide contest. You get a phone call from a number you don't know. After you enter, pick up the phone. Might be your chance to win $1,000. Again, grand at KXNO.com, your chance to win. Talk more Hawkeyes when we come back. David Eichel from 24-7 Sports. He joins us. Trent Condon, John Lamb with you on a Thursday. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. 210 4th Street. Now back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Welcome back once again. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Ken back from his vacation tomorrow. Got John Lamb here with me, Handley University Beyond Ball. Taking you up until noon. So we've talked a lot about the departure of Charlie Jones, what that means certainly for Iowa football, but trying to get more information. And 
Well, John, I know in your circles and recruiting, you know David Eicholt incredibly well, does a great job over at HawkeyeInsider.com, part of 24-7 Sports. So figured that's turned to the man that has more info, certainly, than we do. And we go there right now. David, as always, good to catch up with you. Busy 24 hours for you, huh? Yeah, certainly, Trent. Uh, good to be talking with you guys. Yeah, like you said, incredibly busy 24 hours. The, re- I mean, the reality is with NIL, the transfer portal, and everything else, there's no off-season anymore. This is a 24-7 uh, news cycle, 365 days a year, and especially with the transfer portal deadline passing, it was certainly a little bit of an eye-opener to see what uh, what happened yesterday. So let's start with Charlie Jones and the decision to enter the transfer portal. And, and the first thing I think we we both have a question is the timing. You go through spring practice, and we also heard about May 1st was the deadline. So What's different there? Is it because he's a grad transfer, that deadline doesn't matter, or because they normally just hand out waivers anyway, it was really not a real hard and fast rule that you had to have your name in the portal by a certain date? You know, I think the grad transfer rule, he is eligible, and people forget, I don't think his first transfer counted, really, because remember, he left a scholarship in Buffalo to come walk on in Iowa, mm-hmm. and you're allowed to be eligible uh, when you do the walk-on. Then obviously Iowa awarded him a scholarship later. But I mean, it's not like he transferred scholarship to scholarship. So I do think that that also has a factor in it. But yeah, the timing is certainly a little bit strange. Uh, Obviously, there's been a lot of smoke about Purdue. I can confirm that there's definitely some rumblings there. I'll throw out Notre Dame's also interested in Charlie Jones. I mean, there's going to be some some big-time players here, I think. I do think he will be at Purdue, though, along with Tyrone Tracy. So very strange to me that you know Jeff Brom's offense and the wide receivers they turn out they're rating Iowa's wide receiver corps, but that, that seems to be the case right now. But you know with Milton Wright being academically ineligible for Purdue, he's supposed to be the number one receiver about two weeks ago. That got ruled out. Charlie Jones has a relationship uh, from you know his grade school days with Aiden O'Connell, the Purdue starting quarterback, and you know Jeff Brom's past games. I, at least I think that Charlie wants a little bit more of a chance to showcase himself as a receiver. He knows he's beloved at Iowa. He obviously turned out an outstanding role as a return guy. But I think when you think of Iowa's offense, who are you thinking of first? You're thinking of Sam Laporta. You're thinking of Keegan Johnson. You're thinking of Arlen Bruce, maybe Nico Regani, and then you get to Charlie Jones. I personally don't think Charlie Jones wanted to be that. Charlie Jones wants to be among the first one or two names when people think of somebody's offense, and he wants to put – a lot more wide receiver reps and catches on tape. And I think when you look at last year, just going by the numbers, Charlie Jones had 34 targets. I mean, Tyler Goodson had 38 targets last year and more receptions than Charlie Jones. So I think that's something that was probably lingering in the back of his head as well. Back to the timing component of this and going through spring football, do you think it was where he wanted to go through spring and see were there going to be real changes to this offense, or, or was it just going to be lip service? And he went through the song and dance and said, hey, this is the same crap we went through last year, same quarterback, same offensive coordinator. Nothing has changed here. I'm going to go to a real offense. Is, is that something that you at least could speculate would be going through his mind? Hey, I'll give it a shot here this spring, but if nothing changes, I'm out of here. You know, maybe so, but I do think you look at when Charlie Jones four months ago announced his return to Iowa, he said, see you in Kinnick. And, you know, this is a guy who I believe loves University of Iowa, given a lot to them. I mean, Iowa obviously took a little bit of a flyer on him because he was a, a walk-on. And, you know, I do, like I, like you said, I do think that it's really just about his opportunities, making the most out of his opportunities. And you look at 
with the way Iowa's offense is run right now, they're always going to be a run-first team. I think the offensive line will be better. But, you know, again, Sam Laporta is going to be there. Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce, Nico Reganey. I mean, this is a guy who probably, wants, again, wants, probably wants to go somewhere and get 40 to 50 catches, maybe get six, seven, eight hundred yards, have six, seven touchdowns, and then people already know his return prowess. So if he balled out next year in the return game, that wouldn't necessarily help his NFL stock. What's going to help his NFL stock is scoring touchdowns and being more of a factor in the passing game. And I think with all the uncertainties with Iowa, that probably did play a factor. So, you know, while Iowa needs to have more production in the passing game, that's obviously, uh, we, we all know that going into next year, Charlie said, you know what, maybe I don't want to roll the dice here. And he has a great relationship with Spencer Petras, but I do think right now Charlie's just looking out for himself and his potential pro career. And I know a lot of people have also speculated about name, image, and likeness and NIL being a factor into this. And I said this on my podcast yesterday. I'm not saying it's not a factor. It very well could be. But I'm also of the mindset that if you're a six-year guy and you're focused getting more money on NIL for one year, than getting the most salary opportunities to go make a potential pro career and an actual pro salary, you got your priorities in the wrong place. Yeah, no doubt about it. And there's been plenty of opportunities out there. I don't know how much bigger they could be. I got another question, and I read a couple of quotes uh, last segment that were that Kirk had last season, and they're talking about Charlie and being a different guy. Where's that been? He's got diamond earrings. He's got a little flair to his game, a little, little swagger to him. Not exactly the Iowa football way. Could that play into... You know, I I don't think so. I, I think, and I, I know maybe a couple of years ago, maybe I would have said that. But Charlie Jones also is a guy that, you know, he's got a little bit of swagger to him. I also don't think he's exactly one to, to seek out the limelight. He's not big into social media. Yeah, he uses Instagram a little bit. Uh, but he's just a guy who's very comfortable in his own skin. Uh, and, you know, like you said, that sort of swagger. And maybe he does want to go to an offense where he can kind of, you know, showcase it a little bit more. But I would also challenge that. Iowa's got a couple other guys like that. I mean, Arlen Bruce, we've seen what he, he's had. We've seen what Amir Smith-Marset's brought. I think Keegan Johnson's got a little bit of swagger to his game as well. I mean, I, I think that – I don't want to say that'd be a little bit of a reach, but I have a very hard time after, you know, Charlie being here for a couple of years that would just now be taking into effect after what, you know, I think the Iowa football program's gone through the last couple of years. So it's an incredibly thin now wide receiver room. The wide receiver room – you go to look at a guy like Keegan Johnson, who's an incredible talent, wasn't healthy at the end of last season, wasn't healthy during spring. All right, that's a problem. And you go through, really the only guy that I, I think he can feel completely confident in is Arlen Bruce, but you know, he's a very underside wide receiver and kind of a guy that you have to find to get involved in different kind of ways here. Not a lot of depth at wide receiver. Who else steps up here? And that Keegan Johnson question, is he going to be healthy for the start of the year? Yeah, Keegan Johnson will be healthy. Uh, he didn't really participate much in spring, but he's the guy. I mean, he was already doing some sprints and some light workouts near the end of spring, so he should be fine uh, once summer workouts get going as well. But like you said, I, I think Nico Regani could be in for a big bounce back here. I mean, I think he was very quiet last year, but this guy has been productive in Iowa uniform. I think he's going to get some more opportunities there as well. But I do think that the focal point of the passing offense is going to be Obviously, Sam Laporta, I think Keegan Johnson, Arlen Bruce. But another guy I'd throw in, too, I think Luke Lachey could be in for a big receiving year. I love his upside. I love his athleticism. Very big-time receiver in high school. He's improved a lot as a blocker. And I wouldn't be surprised with Iowa being so thin at wide receiver. Remember, Iowa's getting Lafayette College tight end transfer, Steven Stilianos, who's been in 
uh, three years of college football. He's got two years of eligibility remaining. Uh, it would not surprise me to, if Iowa runs some three tight end set, and I think that's something that they're certainly going to uh, look out for. So maybe they do that, throw in Arlen Bruce, throw in Keegan Johnson as two wide receivers. So I think Iowa football's got some different options. But like you said, I think right now it's very top-heavy for Iowa but they also need to continue to develop some depth. But two other guys I keep an eye on at wide receiver, I think Brody Brecht could really turn out a role. I know he didn't do much in the spring because of baseball, but his upside is, I think, incredibly high. And I would also look out for Deontay Vines. He's been a guy I think has been a little bit under the radar, but I like his skill set. Maybe Jackson Ritter gets into effect. But, you know, at the end of the day, Iowa's passing offense needs work, but there's one simple solution to this entire Iowa offense, and that's improving in the red zone. Get touchdowns. Don't sell for field goals. If Iowa does that, I think they'll take a huge, huge step in the right direction, especially if the defense and special teams can continue to set up the offense with scoring opportunities. Talking with David Eichold from 24-7 Sports as we look inside the Hawkeyes. Let's go to the other story of the day yesterday, another one that comes a little bit odd. Orlando Tucker from Michigan, a pickup that they got, what late in the recruiting process, flipped him from Central Michigan he signed. He was getting ready to come on campus here within the next couple of weeks, and that is no longer the case. What can you fill us in there? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I'm still trying to gather some of the details about that, but I will say I do think that this was mutual. I, you know, I obviously, like you said, he signed, and I think there's going to be no drama with Iowa releasing him from his letter of intent. You know, I think some people don't realize the letter of intent is a legally binding thing, so he would have to go through the university to get that release if he didn't want to enter the transfer portal. Uh, but, no, like I said, I don't think that there will be a lot of drama surrounding this. I think he'll have some other opportunities elsewhere. And, you know, the reality is it's not exactly a high position of need for Iowa because we look at their, their uh, secondary guys that they got in the 2022 class. Obviously, Xavier Wampa, the five-star from Southeast Polk, T.J. Hall, and, uh, you know, Cohen Entringer. I mean, they got some guys. Deshaun Lee, I mean, it was kind of a luxury of goods. I know Iowa's defensive back recruiting has been a little bit – I don't want to say trending down over the last couple of years, but they certainly haven't gotten the numbers that they wanted. So Iowa landed four, opens up another spot in 2023. They're in on some really good defensive back prospects there. So I really don't think Iowa's sweating it out too much. But yeah, like like you said, I know it surprised some people yesterday. Uh, it's always been, I think, a little bit up in the air for the most part about him. So I, I would caution people not to overreact. And you know, I said the same thing about the Charlie Jones thing. While it's a little bit of a surprise, I would caution people not to overreact with what's going on with Iowa football because even after Charlie Jones transferred, Iowa still has the second fewest transfers in Power 5 football of six. Only Baylor has less with five. All right, let's get over to John's specialty, over to a little bit of basketball, and, and currently, of course, we're waiting the decision of Chris Murray. Sounds like it's going to go right up until the deadline, June 1st, for him to make his decision if he's coming back to Iowa or staying in the NBA draft. What's the latest you're hearing on that front? You know, I still think that there's a slight, a more of a slight chance that, that Chris Murray returns to Iowa, a little bit more than a 50-50 chance. But look, this is a very legit decision for him. He's performed well in the workouts. Obviously, he's been working out with Keegan. And people, the teams love Chris's upside. I mean, obviously, if you have a brother who's going to go top five, top six at worst, I think, in this upcoming NBA draft, and they see Chris saying, hey, you know, eight months later, could he be the same thing if we put him in our G League system or put him in the system? And I think a lot of teams are intrigued by that. And, you know, if a team wants to take a second-round promise on him, I think that it could certainly get very interesting. But 
I do think right now that Chris Murray is going to return. I would not anticipate news on this till May 31st or June 1st. I mean, Kenyon told me last week that they're going to go up until the wire, and they should because the reality is even if Chris comes back, he's only playing one more year of college basketball. I mean, I think if he comes back, averages 18, 19 points, blocks a few shots, grabs eight rebounds or so, yeah, his age will be up there. But uh, I think the NBA is starting to come around a little bit more with the older guys who can go in and immediately step in because, again, I think Keegan's the safest prospect to draft. But, uh, you know, I think Keegan, if he balls out next year, I think he could be a potential late lottery pick or at least a top 20 pick. I think he's got that kind of upside. David, I know you said this is a full-year job, but you make it look real easy, so I appreciate you. What do you think about uh, Oglesby talking about Murray, that he gets all his buckets in the low post? Why are these these sports guys just so ill-informed when it comes to some of these prospects and they still – have a desire to speak on them. I'm very happy you brought that up. Oh. By the way. Thank you for the, for the kind words, because I thought this was absolutely ridiculous. You know, the reality is, hey, he scored on a lot low post, but guess what? He scored everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hit eight threes against Indiana, and, you know, it's kind of wild to me because he, he, showed, he showcased a jump shot. You know, obviously, I think he's got a little bit more – he needs to create a little bit more off the dribble, but he showcased great post moves. He can extend the range. He can go from one end of the court to the other. He's got a great turnaround fadeaway, which I think he's really developed, especially over the late course of the season. He's a guy who can do a variety of different things on the court. And, you know, the other thing that was so ludicrous to me was he said, I don't really like his frame. What, you don't like a 6'8", 225-pounder <laughs> with great athleticism that can, that can guard positions one to five? I mean, what, what's and, you know, I think the other thing with Keegan, he's got the quickest second balance of anybody in the draft. The way he gets up and down is incredible. And by the way, it was the underwhelming athleticism. Did you not see the Penn State tip in? Did you not see the the Rutgers dunk from one end of the court to posterize two people? I mean, it it's frankly ridiculous. It's the same thing with Iowa football. I think they look at the name on the jersey or the state where they're coming from, and they begin just to overanalyze everything. I mean, the same thing is what Tristan Wirfs isn't athletic. What a three hundred thirty pounder can't do a backflip into a pool, and that's not athletic enough for you. Tyler Linderbaum has a half inch too short of arms. For you to play center, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I think Keegan laughs about it. I know Kenyon, Kenyon's certainly laughing about it. And uh, I think anybody who actually pays attention to, to Keegan, I think they know what they're going to be getting in the draft. Yeah, it's crazy, too, because Oglesby played a, a short stint here for the Iowa Wolves, so he knows how great our state is. <laughs> a little back and forth. Uh, it's just insane to me. <laughs> the overanalyzing at this point is just so fun to, to watch and pretty much to laugh at, to be honest. Well, hey, we got to get you out on this uh, a big story also brewing and back to the football side of things. That's Caden Proctor, of course, the five-star just up the street from us over in Altoona. He is a behemoth. He is a monster. Everybody in the country wants him. He listed his official visits. Iowa wasn't among them. So, as you know, that caused some angst among Hawkeye Nation. What's going on here? Fill us in the details, what you can tell us the latest on Caden Proctor. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, relax. I think uh, he's been to Iowa 10-plus times. He wants to get out to some schools that, you know, I think it would cost a lot of money for him to get out to to visit unofficially. I still believe he'll visit Iowa unofficially one or two more times. Iowa still has the 24-7 sports crystal ball, and for the time being, I still like Iowa, DeLand, Kane, Proctor. I do think the process is going to go on a little bit while, but I think for people to overreact to uh, – not taking an official visit, I would again. I would say relax because you know we talked to Xavier Wampa and asked him if the official visit was worth it. And I'm sure Xavier was just probably like, "No, you can get anything you want out of an unofficial visit. Just come visit a couple of times." So 
relaxed. Iowa's still in the driver's seat, but uh, it's definitely going to go a little bit longer than I think people would like. Yeah, no surprise there. And I see he's taking a, a visit down to see his boy Jackson Daly down Arkansas at Arkansas State. State. May as well go have some fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, my trips to be, you know, the University of Florida, Hawaii, New York. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd be going everywhere like that. He's doing it right, no doubt about it. David, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. HawkeyeInsider.com, where you go for the latest and greatest information on Hawkeye sports. David Eicholt, 24-7 Sports. Hawkeye Insider is by far the best. I see a lot of this faulty information out there, and all you sports fans, please, please do yourself a favor and, and check in with those guys every every chance you get. Yeah, he does a great job, and uh, him, Sean Bach, and the rest of the crew over at Hawkeye Insider. Thanks, as always, to David for joining us and giving a lot of great information. And fill us in on some of the details with Charlie Jones. How about Notre Dame? Yeah. Also involved there. Now, he said ultimately he thinks it will be Purdue. Aiden O'Connell, you grow up with a guy, he's a great quarterback, but he threw 28 touchdowns last year, six interceptions, something your quarterback hasn't done in two combined seasons. Ooh. Yeah. That's tough. A passing offense, an opportunity to catch some balls. I get it. Is Do we play them at home this year? Or? Uh, this one will be over at Purdue. This will be in West Lafayette. West Lafayette. Lafayette. Yeah. So it will not be a very rude uh, homecoming for those guys. <laughs> Remember uh, seeing the pictures of Tyrone Tracy when he was at the Iowa Spring Game, even after he transferred, and everybody thought what a great deal that was going back and, and seeing your teammates. Think he was doing a little recruiting, maybe? Oh, let's not get uh, into the tampering. <laughs> you know, that costs well, you a lot of money in the NBA. Uh, tampering in college athletics, though? Eh, not a big deal, apparently. I guess. Yeah, that's the way it is. Quick timeout. We're back with more on the other side. Trent Conn and John Lamb with you. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3. So which home selling team? Joey Votto. Playing a little Alice in Chains coming back for my boy John Lamb that do looks need, like Lane Staley. Do I need to put my sunglasses back on? I will. That was great. I'll do that for you, Trent. You need to take a picture, snap it out for the listeners out there so they can see you with your sunglasses looking like Lane Staley. <laughs> Whatever you need from me, man. I'm, I'm here to set screens and dive on the floor. Big Ten Baseball Tournament finally underway. They were supposed to start yesterday. Did not happen. They are now... So, starting things up today, Iowa, the first game underway, the three seed against the six seed Penn State. Just hit a homer. look over, and Penn State has just hit a three-run home run, and they lead it 5-1. Nittany Lions over the Hawkeyes here. Loss would put them in a difficult spot to come back as they're clinging to the NCAA tournament hopes. Of course, it's a double elimination tournament, but Mazer, their AC was on the mound first. Davitt came in and just gave up the three-run home run. Penn State, a 5-1 lead over Iowa. Scary, scary spot there. Former Hawkeye bench coach now at Penn State and doing a good job kind of revitalizing that program. This is the first time Penn State's even been in the Big Ten tournament in 10 years. That's unbelievable statistic right there. It's a great school. My my uncle played basketball there before they had the three-point line. Okay, going back a little ways. Yep, my old roommate Chris Babb, he was there. I've, I've seen the campus a couple times. I don't know how they're not just excellent at everything. Yeah. It's a difficult place to get to. That would probably be the one negative. But, yeah, I've been out to a couple of football games out there. It's an incredible uh, place, destination. And and you're right. Uh, just uh, a lot of talent, obviously, in that area. But Iowa down early here. Well, it is the sixth inning. The Hawks got some work to do if they're going to come back. So, John, our conversations during the break are always fun. And uh, 
Yeah, things usually we can't always say on the radio, but you uh, you said to me, hey, do you see Glenn Davis is getting out of jail? And I said, big baby. Well, well yeah, yeah. not getting out, oh, okay. but potentially he's going to make his way in. Oh, okay. So, so help me out here because I know nothing of the big baby story. What's going on here? Okay, so the, him and 18 of his cohorts um, were running this fraudulent health and welfare benefit plan and you know some of the bigger names involved in it would be you know tony allen you know the defensive guru that played for the grizzlies for a while uh big baby um shannon brown uh, michigan mm-hmm. state guy uh, terrence williams uh, he played at louisville he was i think the 13th pick in the draft i played him a couple times when i was at moorhead just a freak of freaks so basically they were billing uh, medical and dental services that were never actually rendered. And the FBI caught on. Ooh. That's usually not a good thing. Not at all. Not a good thing. And basically it was a, it was a big deal. And they just kind of settled is a $4 million kind of hustle. Um, all because of their, you know, ability to get the, insurance from being a NBA player for a duration of time. Oof. Everyone's got to hustle. You just got to make sure the hustle isn't illegal, right? You know, my thing is go get some diamonds on your teeth or something, you know, and then sell the diamonds. There's ways yes. around this thing. I, I really think there there is a way around it, but you know, you uh, anything you say that you, you don't do is usually a bad bet in our, our today's climate. That is wild. Absolutely wild. Big baby. My dude, big, big baby's just a lazy baby. <laughs> Want to get that money without doing anything for it? Man, did he make a ton of money in the NBA too? Uh, you know what does t- a ton mean to you? Well, I I don't know a ton over I'd say north of twenty million dollars. I'd look it up, but I'd say you're probably right, fairly close. I'd say anywhere from sixteen to twenty four. All right, let's let's see here. But estimated earnings. This is what he got in his eight seasons. Estimated. Two contracts. Mm-hmm. This is from Sport Track. He usually does a pretty good job yep. of it. $33.1 million in cash. Interesting. So you got to take out taxes. There's 16. You got to take out your agent. And, you know, which is his agent, I know, charges 4% a year, like okay. most high level agents. Then you got handlers. You got your people. You got McDonald's. <laughs> Plenty of that. He shouldn't have got an endorsement from them. <laughs> yeah, he's. It, but it, it, yeah, it can go quickly, but still, $33 million. Yeah, and you know, the whole thing is so you hustled off for, say, you know, these claims were anywhere from 65K to 420K. And uh-huh. I mean, that's, you know, a great year's salary. Don't, don't get me wrong, but it just seems very, very, very lazy. Big baby. Bad news there. Bad, bad news. When we come back, we're going to kick off our number two. We're going to go a little deeper inside the NBA draft process. I want to talk to John about what Chris Murray's going through right now, what Keegan's going through. Also, the decision last week by Keegan to go through some of the workouts, a rarity anymore, certainly for lottery guys and top five guys, as many people anticipate. We'll get into that when we come back. It's Miller and Condon on 106.3 KXNO.